again, I don't know that chronology is the point. I think theme is the point of the organization of this chapter. This is a chapter about David's conquest, his victories, and really we're going west, east, north, south. That's kind of the pattern we have more than having some sort of a, uh, you know, chronological pattern. Um, and so we first go uh, to the west. Um, would somebody read 8-1? After this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. David took Bethegabah out of the land, out of the hand of the Philistines. Okay, so David defeats the Philistines. He he conquers the enemies on the west. Now that's something Saul had not done. The Philistines had been a big problem. In fact, that's something Samson had not done. But David gains the victory of the Philistines. That may be one verse, but that's a significant verse. That, that really shows you David reversing the trend. All right, somebody read verse 2, the enemy on the east. He defeated Moab and measured them with the line, making them lie down on the ground. And he measured two lines to put to death and one full line to keep alive. And the Moabites became servants of David, bringing tribute. So what's he do with the Moabites here? He spares a third. He kills two-thirds of them, spares a third. Clearly, he's conquering uh, this enemy of his people. By the way, it's always good to try to remember these things. Where was Moab? In the mountains. Yeah, and where? Yeah, right, uh, right uh, on the right-hand side of the upper part of the Dead Sea. And where did Moab come from? <coughs> Lot. Okay, verses 3 to 12, the enemy on the north. Then David defeated Hadnezer, the son of Rehob, the king of Zobah, as he went to restore his rule at the river. And David captured from him 1,700 horsemen and 20,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung the chariot horses reserved enough of them for 100 chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, the king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David, bringing tribute. And Yahweh helped David wherever he went. And David took the shields of gold, which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer, and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betha, for the, uh, and from Bethroi, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a very large amount of bronze. Now when King Toy, the king of, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated all the army of Hadadezer, Toy sent Joram, his son, to King David to greet him and bless him, because he had fought against Hadadezer and defeated him. For Hadadezer had been, with, been at war with Toy and Joram, been at war with Toy. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. King David also dedicated these to Yahweh, with the silver and gold that he had dedicated from all the nations which, which he had subdued. And twelve. From Syria and Moab, and the, son, and the sons of Ammon, and the Philistines, and Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. Now you know that the ideal territory of Israel was from the river to the border of Egypt. The river Euphrates. How much of the time do you see Israel in control 
of the territory all the way up to the Euphrates. Well, look, you've got David defeating Hadadezer. Hadadezer was going up to the Euphrates to recover some territories lost up in the north, and David invades them from the south, captures horsemen, soldiers, hamstrings the chariot horses. If they're not able to, to pull the chariots, then they're not useful in battle. Horses were very important, a great weapon in battle. Reserved enough of them for a hundred chariots. And so David defeats Hadadezer, well, the Arameans, or Syrians. It depends on which version even of the New American Standard you're using. Whether they say Syrian or Aramean, same thing. But they come to help. And David kills 22,000 of the Arameans and puts garrisons among the Arameans. The Arameans become servants to David. They bring tribute to David. The Arameans go up to the Euphrates. We're talking about now David extending his sphere of influence from the river down to the border of Egypt. And in this passage, the very point where Israel's boundaries are the most greatly extended is the express reminder that the Lord helped David wherever he went. What an appropriate time to mention that. When David has the greatest of his conquests, we were reminded that it's the Lord that's behind this. David took all these shields of gold and actually articles from various peoples and he dedicated them to God. In contrast perhaps with Solomon who might have pocketed them David dedicates everything he received to the Lord. He sees the Lord as the one who gave it. His reputation is growing. People from everywhere are bringing him presents and tribute. So, David has defeated the Philistines on the left, Moab on the right, uh, Hadadezer and the Arameans and others to the north. He is really growing his territory and his sphere of influence. Comments and questions to verse 12. Thirteen and fourteen. Yes. It's interesting that uh, about the horses in verse four, four that he may have multiplied wives, but he didn't. At least on this instance, multiply horses. I mean, unlike Solomon, who kept quite a stable, he he obeys God in this. Nor did he multiply gold and silver for himself. Yeah. So he was he was a contrast with Solomon in both of those things. Go back to the rules for kings in Deuteronomy seventeen, and you'll see the significance of that. Other thoughts? Kimberly. I just love that he's, um, he's decking all these things to God because he knows it's not his strength. He knows it's God. Exactly. It's appropriate when you recognize God as the source of the victory. Exactly. Other thoughts? 13 and 14. And David made a name for himself when he returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Okay. So he kills the Edomites. Um, there's a textual question about some of this, but probably he's talking about Edom uh, in, in 13 and 14. And uh, so that would be more on the south, really to the southeast of Israel, uh, kind of below the Dead Sea. Uh, by the way, the Edomites came from who? Esau, yeah. And uh, again, the Lord helped David wherever he went. There's so much emphasis on the fact David did not do this by himself. He did this as a result of God's blessing and favor. God helped him 
we always ought to remember, especially in the moments when we are most successful, that it is by the Lord's help and not our own. Okay? 15 to 18. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and righteousness for all his people. Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahuilad, was recorded. Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, and the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Zariah was secretary. But Aniah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief ministers. Well, we've got David's organization. Perhaps it's appropriate to summarize that at this point when we're seeing David ruling over so much more territory. It's important that he be well organized in his administration. The principles of David's uh, government were what two items? Justice and righteousness. Interestingly, look at verse 16 and 17. Jehoshaphat refers to the justice of God and Zadok to, the, to righteousness. So the Shaphat part is just and the Zadok is, is righteous or right. So the two of the names of his cabinet reflect those principles of justice and righteousness which are always the principles of good government. And certainly the principles always of the Lord's government. It's built on the foundation of justice and righteousness. You see that in the Psalm 90s. You can look for that a few times in through there. And you see, you know, various functions. It's almost like having his cabinet. Um, notice one in verse 18. Benaiah was over the Carathites and the Pelathites. Apparently, I wouldn't swear to this, but most people think that the Carathites and the Pelathites refer to like foreign mercenaries that were David's bodyguards, and Benaiah was over them, the, the secret service uh, in, in David's day. And perhaps that being foreigners, they would protect him better, wouldn't be subject to tribal uh, disputes and things like that. So that, that's at least uh, the uh, you know, opinion of, of most. Comments and questions on chapter 8? Cameron. You were saying how it's like kind of topical, not chronological how it's going through. I, th I find it really cool that here you see that in uh, chapter 4, chapter 7, David going to God and trying to build things for God and give God things. and have this huge prayer of praising God and thanking Him. And then you have all these good things that's going on here. And it shows us that when we do good, um, good's going to happen. And these, uh, we're going to conquer things. And then later he's going to mess up with Bathsheba and different things like that. And then a couple chapters later, there's Absalom coming on the scene and different things going wrong for him. So when we do well for God, we're going to get well out of it. And when we do um, bad, we're going to get bad out of it. Great statement. Amen. Other comments and thoughts? <coughs> Eric. I have a question. In verse 18, why does it say that David's sons were priests? Yeah, the, the word there uh, in my translation, they were chief ministers. I'm not sure the idea is they were that they were religious priests, but okay. they were ministers. Right. I think usually, um, you know, and, and always what, what Cameron said is true. You know, when you do good, good will come of that. But good doesn't always come in the way you expect. I think because you know, in Job, Job did nothing wrong, 
and yet, uh, you know, he he thought almost that God was doing these things to him, and God took away his family and got all these things. In the end, he was blessed twofold with much more, much more than what he had before. Um, so obviously, good came of his righteousness in him, you know, seeking the truth. But it took getting through some trials. God uh, intends for us to go through trials in adversity, absolutely. Other thoughts? Todd? 13 and 14 seem almost like a, like a biblical chiasm, and in the center there you've got the idea of garrisons in Edom. Is there some cultural significance to that? I don't know. Other thoughts? Questions? <coughs> Patrick. Uh, you know, we're talking about how you know, Ishbosheth is done for, and then all the tribes were like, yeah, let's get David, because now they think it's a good idea, because they need a king. I wonder how many of those people at this point are thinking, man, we made a really good choice, appointing you know, this David character, because he's just so just and so righteous, and all these good things are happening. You know, I, I think oftentimes we can credit ourselves with good decision-making more so than crediting God's plan and ascribing the glory to God. And you made the point, throughout all of this, it's what the Lord had done in David. Not because all the tribes had a good choice in David. Not because David was particularly awesome. It was because God was awesome. Amen. The Lord is the focus. He is the... Uh, one who grants the success. Other thoughts? Great things to think about. Very encouraging to, you know, see the progress of David. You know, we've seen him rise to power, and now we see some of the blessings and victories the Lord is helping him have as he's, he's successful in battle. And, uh, you know, it's very interesting to look at 2 Samuel as a whole. It's not all the same thing. I mean, things seem to just go very well. And then there's a turning point, and things don't go so well after that. And uh, you just see that so clearly in the book of 2 Samuel. It's almost like you're looking at two separate books. So I appreciate your uh, comments and attention. We're going to stop here for tonight.